Hey everybody, uh, welcome back to the DISI Podcast. I'm your host, Ross Carroll. Uh, this is episode three of this podcast. Um, we're looking at the intersection between do-it-yourself culture and science. Um, as to say, we'll examine topics um, related to this whole maker movement. We'll see how they connect to the world of science and uh, how both spheres can become better. If you haven't noticed by now, we missed last week. I was all out. Um, had a bout of the flu, and loads of tree pollen hit us here in uh, northeast Arkansas. So I apologize for missing last week. Plus, uh, I'm sure my voice is lovely. Um, thanks to the shout out and shaming from Bill Lavolsi in recent weeks, I got a. Uh, much better audio equipment, so you can hear my scratchy voice and uh, very high fidelity, right? Uh, whatever the case, um, I want to continue general discussions about this this whole DISI business. Um, I've talked quite a lot about Arduinos. What's an Arduino? Why would I want to use an Arduino? Where can I see it kind of in my everyday life as well as in my professional life as a scientist? Um, I've talked fairly general so far. We've looked at a few specific examples. Um, this week I want to talk about really my experiences over the last year getting involved with this stratospheric ballooning group here at uh, Arkansas State University. Um, a lot of what's done in this field of uh, high-altitude ballooning really meshes well with the maker mentality. Uh, we have an objective, and we simply cobble what we have together to meet that objective. All right, so um, whether that's out in the field right before a launch, we may have to do something on the spot um, to keep our scientific instruments strapped to this uh, line that's connected to a, a very massive balloon or the uh, scientific payload itself is some custom product if you will um, talking a bit nebulously there because I've, I've become familiar with this this field if you will I imagine a lot of y'all probably haven't experienced high altitude ballooning um, personally maybe you've heard of it before in a nutshell, um, I think in FAA terms, if you will, an unmanned free balloon essentially has no human control. It's the unmanned part. Um, note FAA designates it unmanned, though it should technically be called uncrewed, right? Um, no human intervention once it's released, and it is simply free. So there are no active controls, no parachute controls bringing it back down. Granted, your payload can have a parachute, it cannot have active control. I can't launch a drone off of the thing as well. It's no longer a free balloon. All right. This particular class of ballooning basically amounts to having a collection of objects. We typically call them payloads um, connected by a string 
to each other and then ultimately to a very large balloon. Um, what kind of large balloon is this? Well, when the thing's um, not blown up whatsoever, you can roll it out and it's uh, ones we're using are about six, seven feet long whenever you just unroll it. Um, by the time you've inflated it, we use a couple, mm, one and a half to two tanks worth of helium to fill these up. And at that point, they're basically a giant latex balloon at ground level that's about six, seven feet wide. All right, um, rather large. This is not like your small party balloons you've encountered, I'm sure. These are massive chunks of latex with quite a lot of helium inside of them. Um, in our case, our, our last launch, we ended up having about 18 pounds of lift on it. Um, so our, all of our instruments and everything were about 10 pounds. Um, rounded up to about 11 or so for good measure. As long as we stay under 12, we're good. Um, that 12-pound limit is defined by the FAA. Anything above that's going to need to have a waiver. Um, so it's entirely possible to fly more than that, but you have to be... Um, permitted, essentially. Um, whatever the case, this balloon had about 18 pounds of lift with about 11 pounds worth of stuff hanging from it. So, the positive lift there was about, um, I guess in that case, about 7 pounds of positive lift, um, which is enough in this case to lift this entire payload over 100,000 feet. Right. Um, so we had launched a balloon this previous Saturday, April 15th. Um, that was the 47th balloon launch from the Arkansas Balloon Sat Group. It was my second balloon launch I've been since I've joined the group there. Um, launched the balloon early morning, about an hour and a half later. It reached up above 101 feet. Um, at that point, it had expanded. It was probably 30-some feet. Well, it was probably about 30 feet wide or so at that point. Um, as our balloons in the air, we've got um, lots of sensors in there, so we're interested in what the temperature, pressure, humidity, radiation levels, all this fun stuff. We'd like to uh, log as much of that as possible. We likewise include GoPro cameras on there so we can get a nice view, um, presuming we can actually recover our payload after its burst. And we also have some um, radios on there. So we've got two different radios in this case that are um, part of the automated packet reporting system, APRS. Um, that basically operate on ham radio frequencies. Ultimately, we send our telemetry out. Our telemetry is essentially what data we care about, our location, etc., what our altitude is, um, key data we'll send out by this APRS mechanism. That way we can 
track it fairly easily in that sense. Um, so our last balloon launch, for instance, um, we were watching it. We could actually see the thing from the ground. It was that large and illuminated by sunlight. Um, that was kind of hard because it was practically on top of us. Um, so, nearly looking straight up into the sky, see a tiny little dot amongst sort of a moving sea of floaters that you likely see in your eyes if you ever uh, look up. Sometimes hard to distinguish where that balloon is from the, uh, the little bits moving around in your eye there. Whatever the case, we had a good visual on this balloon. The last data packet we had received was at 101,000 feet. Um, so that was a few minutes before we actually got to the burst point, so we're confident then that uh, it's well above 101,000 feet by the time the thing burst. All right. At that point, that balloon essentially ruptures and the whole thing comes falling down to the ground. All right. Um, now the initial reaction might be fear in that case. Um, note, uh, we've got a parachute on there. So r the point where our balloon is attached to our flight line is a brass ring at the top of a parachute there. So this whole string of boxes that are connected by literal string and they're separated by um, I guess what we would call swim noodles long um, foam tubes we use those to separate them and maybe give us a little flotation in case we have a water landing again it's a free balloon so the payload's going to fall wherever it happens to fall right we have no choice over that right? it's usually a good idea to have a good prediction of where you ought to land. Um, in our case, we based our launch site off of a decent landing site. Um, so we wanted it pretty much out where there's not a whole lot going on around Fisher, Arkansas, or Hickory Ridge, Arkansas. Um, we managed to land it fairly close to where we wanted after I guess it took most of an hour to fall from that height. Right. So, that particular um, flight line fell. Um, at that point, we went into recovery mode. We are trying to get ahead of where it might be in order to hopefully see the thing land. We don't want to go catch it, though. It would be neat to actually catch one of the things, but heh, that's pie in the sky, if you will. We'd ideally like to have a visual lock on it whenever the thing hits the ground or tree or whatever it might fall into. All right. um, so we discovered this time around, we didn't exactly see it hit the ground. We had um, some good data come out from our ham radios so we generally knew where it was going to be but for this particular launch um, we didn't get to see it land um, and we had uh, a little time trying to find the thing we basically knew what area it might have been in 
it was out in a bunch of fields. Uh, so there was actually a couple of tractors out there doing their business in some of these fields. We were a little concerned, maybe uh, maybe got run over, you name it. Uh, we eventually found the, the payload simply sitting out in this field, kind of stuck on a little levee. All right. Um, Upon looking at the thing, we basically we see these boxes connected to a string, and we're missing a GoPro. Uh, one of the boxes had three GoPros strapped to it. We only had two. One of them got ripped off at the bracket that was connecting the two. Um, thankfully, we ended up recovering that, and uh, by a little detective work beforehand, realized. Whenever this payload hit the ground, um, the surface winds had picked up enough that it basically did a little land surfing of sorts, um, <laughs> wind surfing across a field. Thankfully, the field was entirely empty, but for a, a good portion of a mile, if you will, the wind basically drove our entire flight line across the field. Um, so we did manage to see some of the the GoPro footage of it getting knocked all across this field. Eventually it came to rest, and about 20 minutes after it came to rest, we found it. All right. um, in that particular case, we picked it up, hauled it back to our uh, home base, if you will, disassembled what needed to be disassembled, and uh, at that point we're ready to start analyzing our data getting ready for the next one. Right. So what's the use in this? Right. Uh, what does this have to do with makers? Why should makers be interested in this? Right. Basically just inflate a balloon, let it go, hopefully you find what was attached to it. Right. Well, there's plenty of good scientific use for this. Um, off first hand, probably call it a weather balloon. Uh, this in particular were not like part of the a weather service or say National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration any of that kind of stuff. We're not pursuing data about weather per se. What we're interested with these stratospheric balloons are um, more than just single weather events, if you will. Um, we want to examine essentially how conditions change throughout various layers of our atmosphere. So in this case, obviously, we can get these balloons up to about 100,000 feet. So that's above at least 98% of all the matter um, in our atmosphere. All right, We're still quite a ways away from space. So we can say it's near space, um, but we're definitely still within our atmosphere. Granted, at that point, there's not a whole lot up there at 100,000 feet. But we can get a good examination of, say, how radiation changes, um, how cosmic rays, if you will, how the intensity of that changes as you move through an atmosphere. We can look at... Uh, dust levels, UV light levels, you name it. All these parameters we might care about. We can set up one-off experiments or we can create um, 
devices that maybe many different teams would like to use there. Right. So aside from just having some nerdy sensors up there, um, you can get a, a very good perspective of our Earth, uh, especially with these action cameras that are practically a dime a dozen these days. You can get some super cheap action cameras to the, uh, the quote-unquote name brands, the GoPros, if you will, um, not an advertisement for any of those companies by any means. We happen to use the GoPros ourselves. Um, by attaching these high-definition cameras to a high-altitude balloon and then recovering that, uh, you can get a really good perspective on Earth. All right. A camera connected to a basically spinning string that goes up high above the atmosphere. Right. You can come up with some really interesting views of Earth, right? At that altitude, at about 100,000 feet, you're talking about a horizon that's about, um, I think, about 400 miles from you. So imagine being able to see about 400 miles in all directions. Well, here at ground level, you're maybe lucky if you can get 10 there up in the stratosphere you can easily get hundreds of miles on your horizon. That's quite a lot of Earth you can see. Plenty of researchers, generally university researchers across the um, United States and the world really, use these on a fairly regular basis um, for any number of purposes. Right? One thing I think the general public can use these for It'd be very useful um, is for getting that perspective all right we oftentimes don't look back at earth from a hundred thousand feet right M most of us at least maybe there are some astronauts listening um, with different experiences but generally we don't see earth from that level right so the the mere ability we have under a thousand dollars we can launch this balloon strap it full of cameras uh, sensors arduinos all this fun stuff let it go and recover the thing um, ultimately all that um, give us some interesting family excursions if you will imagine getting your uh, your kids interested in science with such a thing well, it's this, um, this idea that these stratospheric balloons can provide perspective to us humans that ultimately got me into it. Um, that terminology, of course, I'm taking from uh, Montana State University. It's the Eclipse Ballooning Project from MSU. This is a NASA-funded project to basically provide a unique cosmic perspective to the public. That perspective is the experience, really, of seeing the moon's shadow cross Earth during a total solar eclipse from 100,000 feet up. Right. Um, here in August 21st, 2017, there is a total solar eclipse coming. Um, 
They call it the Great American Eclipse. It is the first total solar eclipse to come to the United States since 1991. That one in 1991 passed through Hawaii. All right. Um, this is going basically from the coast of Oregon to the coast of South Carolina. It is cutting across the United States. Um, and what we're going to do, what this Eclipse Ballooning Project is going to do, is set up, in our case, about 57 different teams all along that path of totality. We're all going to be launching these stratospheric balloons timed just right so that they're at their maximum altitude around the time when that uh, path of, or that really totality hits. Right? So essentially we want them in the air as high as we can get them as the moon's shadow passes over them. Right? In this case we're not simply going to be um, waiting for this footage um, we're not going to have nearly 60 teams out there launch nearly 60 balloons and then have to wait to go recover the SD cards off of their GoPros and whatnot and then wait to get it uploaded onto uh, YouTube or Vimeo or whatnot. Um, one of the coolest parts about this Eclipse ballooning project is that perspective, that cosmic perspective we want the public to receive from this will be live streamed all right each of these balloons from the eclipse ballooning project all have a common payload so a common scientific um, payload if you will a few set boxes with doohickeys in them if you will that will all be flying and one of those is basically a live camera feed if you will um to simplify the whole matter, it's a camera connected to a little computer that has a broadband internet connection on it, essentially. So it's going to be communicating directly with our ground station, so basically an antenna that's going to track it from the ground to provide a broadband internet connection. We're going to stream that live video from these balloons down to each team's ground station. Then that video is going to get sent out to the World Wide Web. So the entire internet, whether you're experiencing that uh, eclipse or not, will have access to this perspective. Essentially looking out from... 80 to 100,000 feet, probably spinning, if you will, um, while watching the moon's shadow pass across Earth. This is a not only just a rare event, but it also puts things in perspective for us humans, I think. So there's quite a lot that goes into actually pulling off one of these... Um, high-altitude balloon launches and recoveries. Um, weather's definitely a major issue. Um, 
one reason why there are just so many teams. Um, hopefully you see the more teams we have out there launching these uh, Eclipse balloons, the more likely we're going to get that perfect person, that perfect shot, if you will. Um, but moreover, this provides a once-in-a-lifetime experience to get people interested in science, technology, engineering, mathematics, into making stuff with your hands, all right? Um, if you happen to be interested in this kind of project, um, like I mentioned, there's 57 teams out there from across the United States. Um, most, if not all of us, are really interested in scientific outreach and getting people involved. So chances are you can probably find someone um, associated with this project to get involved with. All right. In our case, at the Arkansas Balloon Set, um, we're actually not going to be launching from Arkansas. Um, Totality's not coming here. Here in Jonesboro, it's only going to be 90% full, 96% full. Um, that's not enough for us. It needs to be 100% completely blocked by the moon, if you will. We'll be traveling to central Missouri, right, around Fulton, Missouri. Um, so I'll be running that ground station I mentioned recently that's going to be tracking the balloon while it's in flight. Um, our glorious leader, Dr. Uh, Tillman Keenan, will be the launch team and recovery team, if you will. They'll be launching the balloon from some location there that's going to set things up so that this balloon is above 80,000 feet during the eclipse itself, which the shadow, of, well, 100% shadow, if you will, takes about two and a half minutes at that point. So we want to make sure it's above 80,000 feet during that two-and-a-half-minute time window, ideally as long as we can there. We basically want to set it up so that it's right above us. Um, it bursts, and then ideally we want the thing to uh, land in a convenient location, most likely it's going to land in a tree and we're going to have to have a, a good old time trying to recover this. Um, I'll be talking a lot more about this project as we go along. Um, let's suffice it to say, I'll be adding my own little boxes of uh, neat little devices that myself and my students have fabricated here. Um, got a cool little project coming up where we'll basically launch one of those quote-unquote 360 cameras along with this. I would love to have that immersive experience of floating up in a balloon to 100,000 feet while the moon's shadow passes across Earth below me. Um, that alone gets me rather excited to go out and teach people about science, get them equally interested in science and making stuff that can accomplish these tasks. All right. So in later episode when I talk about that common eclipse payload, um, we'll go into more detail about the little computer that's going to be running that live video feed. Um, to cut to the chase, that is a Raspberry Pi. Chances are 
If you've gotten into the maker movement, you've probably heard about the Raspberry Pi single board computers. Um, so I think I've talked about Arduino fairly well enough that I can probably start talking about Raspberry Pis, where they might be interested, um, where they might be useful for us as makers, as scientists, and what differences there may be between the two. And Arduino definitely is not a Raspberry Pi. They are different beasts that need um, their own special attention, if you will. Alright, so hopefully I've uh, at least occupied some of your time while rambling about this uh, stratospheric ballooning business as well as this particular event that's coming up in, uh, I feel like a terrible scientist for not having that memorized. We've only got 17 weeks left before this uh, eclipse. If you haven't heard about this eclipse yet, well, um, definitely go take a look at the Great American Eclipse that's coming up. If you happen to miss it, you'll only have to wait another seven years this time for the total solar eclipse of 2024. All right. um, so I'm going to end it off on my DISI recommendation of the week. Um, I'm not going to introduce anything new here. I'm going to point you to this Eclipse ballooning project. Uh, if you go to eclipse.montana.edu, that is a main Eclipse ballooning project website with all kinds of good stuff in there for you there. Um, I would definitely encourage you all to take a look at their website. If you're interested, reach out to us. Um, maybe it's, hey, can I hang out? on the day of probably so uh, as long as we know we're not getting in our way all that kind of stuff chances are you can hang out with a bunch of really cool nerds um, associated with this project and ultimately get an awesome perspective on our universe and the world we live in uh, so I'll leave it off right there and Hopefully see y'all next time after my voice has significantly improved. Y'all stay cool.